0: The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walk this road before you, so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to The Business of You. Hello, friends. Hope your day's off to a great start. For anybody who's watched any reality TV in the last, say, 15 years or so, you're probably going to be familiar with today's guest's work. Today's guest is none other than Brady Cannell. And Brady was the first person, or should I say, one of the first people that Mark Burnett contacted to help him make Survivor the reality television show... uh, reality <laughs> make his help make his dream come true and be broadcast on television all over the globe. Brady's also worked on shows like The Amazing Race and again he worked on the first ever Amazing Race. And that's really really important to note that it was the first of these shows because the first epi- the first episode, the first season of these shows, the role that Brady played was extremely instrumental in bringing these visions of these shows to reality. And as you'll hear in today's episode, that was no easy feat for a number of reasons on both those shows. Brady's also worked on Extreme Makeover Home Edition and a couple other really long running reality television shows. He's a super nice guy with a really interesting background and take on working the freelance route. Um, He's done that for 30, 35 years. He's been a quote unquote freelancer in the entertainment industry. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Business of You as you get to know Brady Cannell and he's really interesting background. Brady, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you here. How are you? Yeah, I'm great, Rachel. It's nice nice to see you. Yes, it's been a while, many years. How many years? Gosh, probably about four or five years since we've worked together.
1: At least, at least. And you change change things for me.
0: Time flies, but we don't look any older, so that's
1: good. That's right. That's (laughs) right. Our websites definitely don't look older, which is good. It's just sort of things permanent.
0: (laughs) Well, Brady, you have such an interesting background, and the line of work you're in is so fascinating. Would love for you to start with, with sharing your backstory to how you got to where you are today, and in the in the line of work you're doing. So, you know, we could even start as early as like, where did you grow up?
1: Oh my gosh, really? Yes. <laughs> you want to hear all that? <laughs> well, I grew up in L.A., which you know, I guess I should have known back then that that probably would have <laughs> led to potentially ending up in the entertainment industry, but uh, I really didn't. I grew up in the Valley in Woodland Hills. I actually grew up with a horse. It was very like rural. Out there, so it was not city L.A. It was it was uh, you know it was was literally horse country out in the West San Fernando Valley, and uh, and then I just you know went to school, did regular regular student government stuff, and then went on to U.C.L.A. and uh, and it wasn't until my final final year at U.C.L.A. my fifth year that I finally sort of kind of got bit by this entertainment bug um, so I somehow avoided it all that time so I was really a, a regular TV watcher movie goer all those years which actually now looking back on it I'm kind of grateful I didn't I wasn't jaded watching all those movies when I went down to the local theater you know <laughs> I watched them as a regular viewer and uh, and so it's nice now to look sort of look back on that and see how uh, you know some of the some of the reality shows that I do you know how that might impact people when they're sitting at home with their families watching television because mm-hmm. I was one, I was one of those people back in the day. Yeah. So
0: what was it that um, fifth year of college that that bit you to take court, you know, to move forward in the uh, entertainment industry?
1: Yeah, it was just it was a history class. I was a history major and I took a history film class. And I just part of that class required to uh, required me to take a uh, have an internship. So I interned at a documentary, a local documentary film company um, for that class. And I was like, what is this? (laughs) Really? Really enjoyed just the the process of collaboration, you know, everybody working together on, on a on, on a project that is going to be viewed by others. And I and I and I early on I was I was attracted to the documentary side of things. I like telling um, telling people people's stories, real, stories of real people was sort of attractive to me. But then I sort of pulled away from that and got more into the scripted side and was trying to do be a feature film director. I mean, at the time, everybody wanted to be Spielberg, and I was I, honestly I was one of them. So I, uh, yeah, I just started writing scripts and um, working on short films. And I, I financed a couple of short films on my own, which made the film festival circuit. And it just felt like that was the right path. You know, television was not, just was very different than it is now. I mean, television was, was you know, all the film actors and film directors, none of them worked in television. It was all film, film, film. And uh, anyway, I, I, even, though I, even though I started out working on a documentary company, I worked really hard to get out of it to get into the scripted side for many years for like, I'm not kidding, like 15 years. So that was a lot, that was a struggling time, you know, literally rat-infested apartment, the whole thing. Really? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's when I met my my wife. So I knew she loved him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it wasn't but, for the apartment. Um,
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, but I, I did then, you know, I kept getting pulled into uh, the nonfiction side of things. So that's where the work kept coming. And, uh, and eventually I just sort of, uh, I succumbed (laughs) to, to nonfiction, you know, unscripted reality television. And, and I'm glad I did. I actually ended up, I've, I've had a robust career and had a lot of fun and, uh, it's all worked out really well. Right.
0: Yeah. What year was, you know, that struggling period that you said was about 10, 15 years. What years were those just so we can help orient people?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It definitely dating me, but it was 86 to okay. 2000. 86 to 2000 was, uh, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't bottom of the barrel kind of struggling, but it yeah. was freelance. It was a, and we should talk about that. You know, your view, your listeners and viewers want, you know, they want to learn a little something. The free the decision to be a freelancer is like a major, major career life decision. If you're a freelancer type person, you know, where you like you're okay not knowing where your next paycheck is coming from and you have to be looking for work on a regular basis. Um, That takes your career in one direction, in a direction. And if you are on the other side of things where you feel like you really want to know where your next paycheck is coming from and you want to have more stability and consistency and you want to have a regular job, that kind of takes your career in another direction. And so that I've always really, when I teach, I teach a class at UCLA Extension and I've always said that, like almost up front, like what kind of person are you And I didn't, nobody asked me that or told me that when I was starting out, I just, I was just attracted to the next new thing, the Mm. next new job. Mm -hmm. And I found myself as a, as a freelancer embracing the freelance life. And, uh, and here I am, whatever it is, 35 years later, still a freelancer. I'm still a freelancer. So I've been freelancing my entire career. I've never had an actual job. (laughs)
0: Right. Wow. So do you think if you pick one of those lanes, you need to stay in one or like within the entertainment? Okay. Is Not it hard I, to
1: switch? Mm-hmm. It, it can be. Uh, a certain type of person wants to be a freelancer because you're making the projects, right? You're out there and you're actually making the show, whether you're the the grip or the director or the, the director of photography, whatever it is, you are out there and those jobs come and go, right? It's like once it's over, it's done. You got to find the, new, the next new one. But then there's the executives and the agents and all the people who are helping get the thing made. So it's two different things. It's making it or helping get it made. And the get it made people are usually more salaried staff type people who then hire the freelancers to go out and make it. And, and this is this is not a this is not a, a rule. It's just a sort of a general observation. And there are lots of people who who go back and forth, but it's not easy. Um, for me, it was better to stay in the freelance world and really establish my strengths and establish my brand. Thanks to you guys. And um, and just keep going on that path. If I jumped over to the executive ranks, I would have kind of lost some of that um, that, that basis that I had built in the freelance world, um, and vice versa executives. I, I know a particular executive who kind of jumped ship off the executive, <laughs> off the executive route and started freelancing. And that was challenging. It was really challenging because he had to start from scratch. Uh, it shouldn't, shouldn't be that way, but he kind of did. And, uh, cause you just, everybody who's doing the hiring is wondering, oh, does he have the skills, you know, has he paid his dues? All those, all oh, those things.
0: Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, what was your first big break in the
1: reality TV world? Uh, like a break, like a break, break. I guess it was Survivor. You know, the first job that I got that was considered a reality show was actually Rescue 911. Back in oh like gosh, I remember that show. I forget what year it was, Is 1989 or something. I, and yeah. that was the first time I was actually sent out in the field to like go collect footage on real people and bring it back and tell a story. And then it was on CBS network primetime and it did really well. And that show ran for seven years. It was a terrific show that people forget about. And uh, in, in my book, it was one of the very first, you know, traditional reality shows. There were shows that go all the way back to the 50s, like Canon Camera and all those shows, but there was Unsolved Mysteries also that was happening and like um, America's Most Wanted, like there was a whole bunch of stuff that was occurring during the you know, 90s and then a lot of travel shows. I did wildlife programming, which was great, um, and game shows and all that stuff. But it really was, I never thought that that would all work out to be a career Uh, I was literally trying to get out of it (laughs) until Survivor came along. And uh, and that was Mark Burnett, of course, and CBS. And they were putting, you know, resources into this really interesting nonfiction social experiment. And uh, I just happened to meet the right person at the right time. And and suddenly um, my resume, which looked like a complete mess up to that point, kind of made some sense for this game show meets, you know, meets uh, adventure show kind of thing. And I I just happened to have known how to do challenges. I was a challenge guy. So whatever, nobody cares about this, but it was, it was one of the few skills that I had (laughs) in television was to come up with ideas for challenges, for games, for physical games. And so uh, that was my job was to, uh, and, and also the format of the show. So it was a European format that came over, and then I was supposed to help, you know, adapt the format to American audiences and oversee the challenges and the gameplay between all the uh, all the contestants. So, and, and I felt like it was going to be. A I actually thought at the time this is going to be a hit. It doesn't happen very often, but but I really did think that. I thought he, that Mark was really onto something, and uh, yeah, here we are, forty plus seasons later, twenty plus years later. So it was pretty. So that was a break. That was definitely a break because I was on the show that changed the whole the whole face of not, not just reality television, but television in general. And then, you know, within a year or two, a fifth of the entire television landscape was uh, was was nonfiction television because of survival.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So I was just in the right place at the right time.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So you actually helped create some of the challenges in Survivor then. You, I mean, when, when Mark Burnett came to you, how well baked was the concept?
1: Oh, he 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 had it all locked in. He he knew exactly what he wanted. He's he's really a strong uh, obviously this guy, Mark Burnett, if any people aren't listening, don't know who he is. He is sort of viewed as the you know the person who was responsible for that shift in television. And uh um, you know, he hadn't done a ton of stuff before, but as soon as and I had already done 15 years, so as soon as I got out there with Mark, I knew, oh, this guy is really, really clear on what he wants and he's a storyteller, um, but he also knows who to hire and who to trust. And uh, he allowed me to hire whomever I wanted to work as writers and as challenge producers in the art department, and uh, and, and it all worked out great. It was actually a great t- team effort. And there was a guy named Craig Poligian also who was very strong in um, in, in like product, production logistics. And then there was a guy named Scott Messick who was kind of the director. But so there were four of us who were sort of overseeing everything. But I, my job was challenges, gameplay, and, uh, and ultimately the reality uh, gameplay that was happening.
0: Okay, uh- and then. It- In those early stages, especially given it was season one, are there certain emotions or feelings that you want your audience to feel or that you want the actors to be creating on the show? Or, or, you know, how unscripted really is reality TV?
1: Yeah, it depends on the show. It really does. Like when I when I think of. You know, Survivor is, is all in one place, right? And we we know what's coming up next. And we try and tighten the screws a little bit, you know, on the people who are out there. And these are real people, real ordinary people who applied to be on this crazy show. Um, so they don't know what's going on, you know, what's coming up next. And and we just encourage them to be themselves and do whatever comes naturally to them in that moment. Our job is to create the environment that they are in, and hopefully that environment will cause stress and will cause interpersonal relationships to to either grow or fall apart and uh and then they ultimately they'll learn a little bit about themselves you know through the process and then our viewers learn something about themselves through watching these people who are really brave really brave to put themselves out there but it's it's real it's all everything you see is real it doesn't mean we haven't thought it all through and tried to manipulate you know the situation a little bit so that we get a certain result but um, but ultimately, you know the, the lawyers at, at CBS and ABC and NBC would never allow us to meddle too much to where it changes the outcome of the game. There's a million dollars at stake. It's ultimately a game show, and there are actually there are actually federal laws that regulate uh, game shows where there are cash prizes. So. We do what we can to tell the story, but at a certain point, we have to, we have to really take our foot off the gas pedal and to let it play out. And trust, I call it trusting the format. You create the format of the show, plug people in, and then, you, then you'll trust the format and see it play out. And that's why some seasons are better than others. You know, we have to cast really well, cast characters who are going to give us some drama, you know. Um, but I would love to plug The Amazing Race just for a second, because I think for me, The, the, the Amazing Race, my, I did the first season of The Amazing Race and uh, with Bertrand Van Dorenstern. He's amazing, incredible you know, documentarian and cinema verite art, artists really. And, um, I, uh, I just felt like it was pure. Like not that Survivor wasn't pure, but I felt like Amazing Race was even more pure. It was just like, go here <laughs> and get there as fast as you can. And then you will give you a clue to so the next place, go there and get there as fast as you can. And if you win at the end, the race around the world, you win a million dollars. It was so simple and so clean and, uh, and we, we never, as far when I was there, we never interfered with, with them. We just let them do their thing. And the camera operators had to stay with them and, and document their story and everything else happened naturally. It was a pure function of the stress of, of the million dollar prize and having to navigate the world. And, and, and just historically speaking, it, it's, it was impressive. It was impressive yes. to yes. race around the world and document that whole yes. thing. Uh, and keep it and keep it real so that's a long answer here story but it, it is, is no. it, it is all real when you it, see this
0: yeah yeah and you're right it is i mean just the mere fact of traveling around the world right without mm-hmm. the challenge component built in and the story dynamic is is a, is a lot of work right i mean it's not simple to just hop on planes and travel the different time zones and encounter all one is going to encounter what was right. your personal life like then when you were working on The Amazing Race? Were you traveling all around the world as well? Especially yeah. season 1, probably you had to be way more
1: involved than maybe you normally would be. Yeah, season 1 of The Amazing Race and I've done a lot of shows, a lot of hours of television including, uh, you know, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, which is also a really difficult show. But no, the first season of The Amazing Race was the hardest 28 days that I've ever worked. <laughs>
0: There's no it Was doubt around the world in 28 days.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it was 28. I'm pretty sure. We thought, we didn't know. We didn't know if it was going to be yeah. 45 days. We literally didn't know. It was like, hey, just keep getting on planes and here, go here. <laughs> we tried to figure it out, but it, it could have been anywhere from, I think it was anywhere from, we thought it was going to be between 30 and 45 days and they just falled and it turned out to be 20, less than 30 days. Um, but yeah, my, I was the uh, supervising producer. So I was kind of the director and, um, you know, just... Um, organizer on set you know of the camera crews and and, uh, and the producers figuring out you know the big picture of how things were mm-hmm, going to mm-hmm. play out
0: were there some unique challenges on um and the amazing race due to the the global component of it from a filming standpoint
1: oh yeah okay Are We and i mean they've changed it now over the years they figured out how to do it but it's basically the um you know the accordion nature of there, there were 12 teams. I think that first season there were 12 teams. And, you know, as soon as a team starts falling behind, they're literally in another country. They're still back here in this country. Yeah, and the whole yeah. other, uh, rest of the group is up ahead in another country. I think at one point we were two countries apart. And so for a little reality show television production to manage that safely, make yes. sure that everybody is, is OK and doing what they're supposed to be doing. And many times we were just leaving the camera operator and the sound person with the team, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Wow! <laughs> and hoping that they were going to end up eventually at the place where we told them to go, but um, that first season it was kind of like that. I hate to say it, but we were we were figuring it out. And yes, huge huge logistical production challenges. Yeah. But that's why yeah. I got that's that's the reason why I love the business. So yeah. much, like wh- it's crazy. Who would ever think yes. that I would? I was trying to. I was you know whatever in trying to learn film, and the next thing I know, I'm on a round the world race you know, on a, on a successful show that's gone on to win, you know, dozens of Emmys and, uh, yeah. and it's just, it's you never know what's next in the entertainment industry and what, what challenges are going to be faced with?
0: Well, especially in that type of right. In the reality um, component of it. So what was, what was the next big show you worked on after the amazing race?
1: Uh, yeah. One of the people would have heard of was the extreme makeover home edition, yeah, show, right. which, which mm-hmm. was already on the, on the air. And mm-hmm. it was one of those things I was looking at. I was like, wow, that, that show, I, then, you loved you know, that show,
0: right? I mean, I, I know you loved all your work, but this one I felt because we were working together when it was um, picked up again by HDTV,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: I just remember you saying how much this show really meant to you.
1: Yeah, it's it's rare, you know. You always want to find the the why, you know, of your work, right? We all we all look at our work and we're like, why am I doing this? Is there some larger purpose here that I don't know about that's going to come down the the line later. Uh, You know, The Amazing Race was, was, I liked it because it was kind of making the world a smaller place for people to watch, you know, and and understand the world. I I, I liked that part of it. And Survivor was like really introspective. I mean, people were really figuring out who they are at the deepest level. And that's kind of interesting to watch too. So I felt like in both of those shows, there was something valuable. But boy, when I got on the Extreme Makeover Home Edition, it was a completely different experience for me personally, you know, to... I feel like suddenly my personal, uh, directive in life, you know, which is to make, make the world a better place, which is everybody has that <laughs> was, was meshing with my, my career, my day-to-day career. And it happened for five, five fantastic years. And we built, you know, over uh, the, the show built, I think it was 212 homes over its nine years. But I came on at the end of season four. And then during my five years on the show, we built over a hundred shows, a uh, hundred homes. And I, uh, you know, it was just looking back on it. It, it was, um, yeah, probably the the five years of my career that I'm most proud of, because every time we would leave a town, you know, fly away from a town after we built their their home, you know, and looked at, I literally looked down out the out the window, look at the town. I go, oh, okay, we did a good we did a good thing there, and now we're on yeah. to the next the next town. And to be able to have that in your career is really a blessing, and I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm constantly grateful for it.
0: Yeah, very cool. Plus, didn't on um, extreme makeover a lot of local people were hired, right, to actually do the build out. Was it always the local local people hired?
1: Yeah, they were actually volunteers. Yeah. So that's the other. Oh, that's here. right. Yeah. So we we had anywhere from on any given build. Actually, one time we did seven homes in seven days. That was my big Whoa. huge like two hundred episode build, and we had thirteen thousand volunteers show up over the seven day period to build the seven homes. It was after a. a uh, uh, hurricane uh, tornado had occurred in Joplin, Missouri, and it was spectacular. So if I had to zero in on the best like seven days of my career, that that would I think that would be it because it was extraordinary. it was there was nothing there. and then when we left, there were seven homes. and then now there's hundreds of homes around those seven homes, which is pretty pretty neat. But it's usually volunteers. there uh, when we have our crew, our TV crew, and then there's a local builder who steps up and and builds builds the home and they they volunteer and then they bring on all their subs and trades and then they get another, you know, thousand volunteers to come out over the course of the seven days to work twenty four hours a day for seven days. Amazing! Wow, yeah, that is, and that really... was all real too. Like you are asking about real. No, yes. everyone's like, oh, you didn't really build a house in seven days. Like, no, 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 I was there for every single one of them, <laughs> and it's it is incredible. Like, it's one of the. I, I I just think that the industry doesn't really pay attention to some of these shows and doesn't really yeah. say, wow, you guys are doing what. You're racing around the world and going to figure out how to document it. That's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, all the dramas and all the movies get all the the love and all the publicity. (laughs) But someday I hope somebody sort of pays attention to all these incredible reality shows too. Yeah, incredible
0: feats. Um, Has has anybody ever looked at what the sense of community is in the towns where a new home was built? Because just I'm thinking getting all those volunteers together on these projects, even if it was just one home – what was the average amount of volunteers on a one-home project?
1: Probably 500 to 1,000 thousand, would come out for one home.
0: And I mean, because it's so intense to work nonstop, right, and build mm-hmm. an, a home. I just wonder what kind of the long-term impact was of that type of community building, you know, and how those towns fared down the line.
1: Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. It's really and from Joplin a sociological. Joplin mm-hmm. is 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 one of them. I mean, that whole city was yes. impacted by that seven home build. It wasn't just the tiny community. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, I've, I've uh, in my hometown. My hometown. I, so I live in Marine Del Rey, in California, and right next door is Westchester. And uh, so I finished up on Extreme Makeover: Home Edition, and I come home, and, and a year later, I was feeling kind of like I, I I needed I needed that 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 give back elements to my life. And so I saw in a newspaper article that there was a a Rotary Club in Westchester was doing a makeover of someone's home. And I was like, that's incredible. That's so cool. I want to help out. So I called them and I said, hey, I'm the executive producer of Extreme Makeover. And they invited me to come over and they told me the whole story. And they said the only reason they are doing it is because they uh, watched Extreme Makeover Home Edition and they had done one in Redondo Beach, which was right nearby. And they were inspired to do it on their own after the show left, which I thought was interesting. So that's the answer to your question is I think that there are there are lots of long lasting impacts that, that shows have on communities, whether it's The Amazing Race flying through a small town in Italy <laughs> or its survivors shooting on the island of Fiji in Fiji. Or it's Extreme Makeover home, home Edition coming into a town and galvanizing the volunteer spirit for a very short period of time. I do believe that it, it it resonates, even if it's just the kids who came out and watched all the adults trying to build a home for a deserving yeah. family. Those kids take that with them, you know, in the years in the years ahead. I think.
0: Yeah, know? totally, totally. Yeah, the domino effect. That's so amazing that uh, that people took it upon themselves like that.
1: Yeah. Now dating shows, you know. I, <laughs> I don't think it has that kind of impact.
0: <laughs> well, I, you always defined your work as family-friendly reality television. That always stuck with me, that family-friendly piece, um, which, you know, is kind of your niche within the niche, right? Within, within your world. So what was what was next for you after that? what have you done since extreme makeover?
1: Mm -hmm. I don't know how calculated all that was, by the way. I don't know if it was like, or it just happened to be the material that I was, I was attracted to personally. It wasn't like, I want to make sure my brand is clear on, you know, that I'm not doing these kinds of shows. I'm doing these kinds of shows, but that's just sort of what happened naturally. I kind of wish maybe I had been more, more clear on it early on. Maybe I wouldn't have done some of the cop shows I did in the (laughs) nineties.
0: Yeah. But it all led to where you are today. I mean, I think every experience prepares us for the next one. And, um, and to your point about, like, that's kind of where the road led you with these shows, you were attracted to something in those shows, right, that spoke to you, mm-hmm. which is then, you know, you kind of putting your DNA and your spin on these shows. So maybe you didn't think you were being very strategic and overt, but my, my bet is there is a part of you um, that actually was, you know, even subconsciously.
1: Yeah. And you follow your gut along the way. And, yeah. and how great that we have, you know, when you're in a, when you're a freelancer, you do have a lot of choices to make, right? When you're, when you're in one job, every couple of years, you make a job choice. Maybe, you know, if you decide you're going to leave that job, but in the freelance world, you're making choices all the time. Sometimes daily, like if you're working in commercials, like which commercial am I going to do tomorrow? So, you know, for me, it's now it's like several times a year. I have to make a choice on what show I'm going to apply the next six months of my life to. And I love that, that I'm faced with that choice. Why do I want to do that show instead of this show? Well, because you know what? I think it'll have a stronger impact, or I'll have a lot of fun. You know, I'll be in in an island in the Caribbean or whatever it is. But I, I, it makes me think about my my day to day work, Uh, and that sort of leads me to the answer to your earlier question, which is what I did. What I did next. So after Extreme Makeover: Home Edition, I was, I was, like spoiled. I was really spoiled. It was the best of the best, right? I was the showrunner of this hit show, that change people's lives. I mean, come on. I was just, and again, I didn't make it happen. It just happened. <laughs> so I, but I love it. I'm grateful for it to this day. Then I was like, like what am I going to do next? You know? Yeah, yeah. And so I was thinking, like, do I go into movies or something? And then this little show came along, this Christmas light fight show, which I just uh, love. Yeah. It's the great Christmas light fight. And it's a Christmas lights competition show. And uh, it was the first year, they, Fremantle and ABC just wanted to put a little Christmas light show on. And it was literally, it was right after Extreme Makeover. It was within months after Extreme Makeover got canceled after its nine-year run. And I thought, oh, well, that, okay, that kind of fits with my thing of family fun programming. And it sounds like a blast to go travel around the country and shoot Christmas lights. But I thought maybe <laughs> we would do it for one or maybe two years. And here we are. This is, we are getting ready to shoot season 12 that's that's years of the great christmas life It started in 2013 and uh we're airing season 11 this year uh this is 2023 and then we'll be shooting season 12 which will air next year and i will work on that show probably as long as it stays on the air as long as i'm alive yeah yeah because it's just so fun and great and i'm doing another show right now just really quick another show called uh, secret celebrity renovation i haven't talked to you in a little while Uh, So this is the third season of Secret Celebrity Renovation, which is also really fun. It's on CBS, and it's celebrities who get to uh, go back to their hometown, wherever that is in the country, and they gift a renovation to somebody from their life uh, who had a huge, you know, significant impact on the direction of their life, whether it was an old f- football coach or a dance teacher, or whatever, whatever it is. And uh, yeah, we just finished um, season three, and uh, it just premiered last week, and it's airing on Friday nights on on CBS. So I'm really lucky. Here I am. I'm working, on, and that fills my entire year. I'm doing, you know, the first six months of the year, I work on Secret Celebrity Renovation, helping, you know, helping uh, people get renovations for their home, and then do Christmas lights the second half of the year. It's great.
0: Who's the celebrity in this season three that's being featured?
1: Uh, each episode is a different celebrity. Yeah. So we just did um Phil Cogan, actually was the host of the Amazing race was one of them. we, oh, went, to, we went to Antigua uh, he grew up in Antigua in the Caribbean, believe it or not. And so he went there and we actually renovated a hospice there for uh, one of his old his old neighbors had awesome. a huge impact yeah, that's yeah. We, had, we have different. We had Jack on the show and you know, there's various celebrities. So.
0: Um, And how do you source celebrities for that? Like, is the word out among the celebrity circuit that they can do this or, you know, people find you? How how is that?
1: Yeah, there's another show called Celebrity IOU, which some of your listeners might be familiar with, but and this is a these different shows. Ours goes to the hometown of the celebrity. Um but yeah, the words out within the industry and uh and, and Bob Horowitz and Jume Entertainment, they are the producers of the show. So they've always they're always we've got lists of celebrities we'd like to reach out to. And then CBS helps too. We want to um, you know, to have some of the CBS celebrities be our uh our focus. Mm, mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm.
0: Well, um, let's switch gears a little bit. I want to ask you a few more, uh, personal questions, but in a different vein. How would you define the characteristics of your personal brand? So, if if somebody, let's say, you um, overheard two people talking about you on one of the sets of a show that you're working on, how do you think one person would describe you to another?
1: Uh, you know, it, it's such a good question because I just have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would, um, I would hope. You know, who knows? I, I, uh, and it's important for us all to look at ourselves and like how are yeah, you know, how, yeah. how do we think we're viewed by others? It's just we're so busy like just moving forward. I don't even take the time, but I would hope that they would they would say that um, uh, I care. You know, I'm not just doing it just 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 for a job. It's like I, when I get in there, I actually really care about the people and telling real people stories. You know, I want to I want to do them justice and tell the story in a way that's authentic um, and is presented to audiences um, in a way that either inspires them or makes them change, change something in their life or, you know, or just appreciate their, their, their life, their families or whatever it is. So uh, that's kind of, I guess that's the main thing. I don't know. I also work hard, you know, I definitely am a hard, I've always been viewed as a hard worker. I don't, I don't just um, do the minimum. I've always respected the plow horses more than the show horses in our business. And, uh, and so I feel like maybe I'm a little bit of a plow horse, <laughs> but, um, yeah. And I think inspired, I don't know, inspired standards is also something that is, um, uh, forgotten or not overlooked oftentimes in, in our business. It's like, you just want to crank it out and get it out there and you're delivering a product. It might as well be nuts and bolts that we're manufacturing. But, but for me, when you, when you're telling stories, it's a whole other thing. You're touching people's hearts. And I think that you have, that the people who are in charge need to have. Um, Certain standards, personal standards, characteristics, and and standards for the operation of the the production, also and and the content, a commitment to the content. It's just elevating those standards at an inspired level where everybody then is self motivated, right? If you have, if you have that those standards that are sort of put out there by the by the the leader, and that's I'm only saying these things because it might might relate to some of your other listeners. But it if it, it's the easiest way to do it for me, I, I just put it out there to the team first of all, hire the right people (laughs) (laughs) and then put out, to you know, what are these expectations of standards on, on every level, your personal behavior, you know, the level of commitment to still telling the story, you know, spending that extra minute to edit the, edit it just a little bit better. What are those expectations? And then what happens is everybody just becomes really self-motivated and that makes my job easier. And so that's sort of my, I don't know if that's my brand. That's just sort of my operating procedure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 So when you start on a new show or a new season and you've brought this team of people together, do you find yourself having kind of a, a particular approach or process at the beginning to kind of inject or communicate these inspired standards into the the new team? Is yeah, it something it, you're doing like at the beginning of a, of a new production?
1: I try to if it's if it's something that I yeah. am starting like if yeah. it's the first year of a project like I can remember on the Amazing Race even though it's not my show I was just hired to sort of direct and get people together and uh, and hire a lot of people uh, I remember giving a, a big speech it was like a speech <laughs> like like here's what we're doing you guys it's unbelievable it's historic you know, and here's the goal. I don't know what's going to happen, but we are going to have to be on our toes kind of speech, you know, (laughs) and that just kind of brings everybody's energy up. And and it's true. It's not like I'm faking it. It's, it's, I'm just telling them what the situation is and being honest, being honest with everybody is really important because there's a, there's a certain collaboration in, in our business and all businesses, of course, but collaboration is the key. It's the key to everything in our business. Like you, if you're not, if you're not a collaborator, We've got 150 people working on a TV show and they all have, everyone has different jobs and different skill levels and talents and, you know, and then everyone has their own personal things going on. If we're not collaborating as a team and you don't set that up in front, then you've got a bunch of egos just running around trying to prove themselves. And that's not what we're here for. You know? So yes, I, I, I try to lay that all out. These are my, this is the way I want this production to run. And, right. and, and I think it helps. I, I do. I think it helps. Yeah.
0: Yeah, do you find yourself, or have you found yourself in a lot of situations where there's like, you know, kind of you have to insert sort of corrective behavior guidance with a teammate? And if yes, how do you do that? How have you done that in the past?
1: Yeah, I'm not really very good at it. Honestly, <laughs> like, it's I just hard. Not, I, I'm I'm kind of a whatever. I'm like a nice guy kind of guy. So I do. I have a I have a harder time. Sort of. Uh, I I choose to I choose to. Um, improve behavior or adjust behavior with example like that's that's really my number one way of doing it i feel like if i am a good example and if the people that i hire just under me are really good examples of hard work of integrity and that's just the way they are then if you're below them and you're at and you're completely off the mark then you're going to stand out right <laughs> whereas if the leaders are have their own issues and 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 have anger issues or whatever management problems then it's like oh then the whole production can be like this and it's okay because he's acting that way so that's my first line of defense excuse me um but then when it, if even after that if something is happening then it is just a pure one on one here's the deal i need to just let you know what's going on from my point of view you know and give and then give them an opportunity to adjust their behavior and then if they don't then they then they have to go. And that's I, that's it's just super simple at that point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it has to be, right?
1: Yeah, but to avoid it in the first place is the right way, is the right way to go. Hopefully hire people that have yes. had referrals from, you know, don't just right. hire pe- don't just hire people on a resume, man. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. need to call about their background and find out talk to people who worked with them. That will avoid more problems on your crew than anything you do. Is getting yeah, referrals. Yeah. And hopefully you know them personally. You, you, you worked with them in the past and you can vouch right. for them.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm making the assumption, but that in your industry, and again, like in your niche, it's probably a small world and people's reputation supersede them a little bit too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's funny, I uh in our business, the idea of talent and like um having some special thing, you know, is is talked about all the time like we're gonna pay this person x million dollars to direct this movie or to whatever and yes talent is really important but for me talent the talent part of it is just kind of a given like you need to know you need to know your craft you need to be capable personally capable in your in your craft but for this is just me way above that is character of course like, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to spend six months on a TV show with somebody who's really talented and a real pain in the butt, you know, or, or, or causing, uh, you know, harassment issues or whatever it is. Like, I want people of character first and people who are ready to work hard. This isn't so stupid. It's so basic. Who's going to work hard? Who's who's going to, who's going to have a good attitude, a positive attitude, you know, and, and, uh, and be a good person. Like, that's first. And then if they're talented, then that's awesome. You're definitely hired. <laughs> so I, I've. It's a little different for me, honestly. I, I, I don't, I don't get. Uh, I, I personally don't allow myself to get sold by someone's uh, resume or talent. I definitely yeah. research who they are first before. Yeah, I
0: yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense, and it says a lot about your own personal brand too, right? The type of people you want to attract and be surrounded by.
1: Yeah, and then you can focus <laughs> on the results, right? Then once you have the people, you've got the right people on the bus. Right. Then you can. Then it's like, okay, now I know I've got a core group of people right, who I who have integrity and who are on. Who are yeah. you know? I can put them in the right direction and they'll all do great. And, that, and that right. Is, and then you can just focus on the work and not have all these personnel issues. And, you know, that's the yeah. worst part.
0: Yeah. Oh yes, and it can take so much time.
1: Yeah, and then you can really start thinking not just about results but about change. Like if, if like on Extreme Makeover Home Edition, I came in halfway through. And I was like, okay, how as a leader, how do I want to sort of shift? How do I want to stop doing certain things? You know, slow down on these things, and then shift focus a little bit because that's what what we have to do as as business owners and, and, mm-hmm. and leaders. We have to think about what what what's the change that we're suggesting here, right? Yeah, <laughs> and it's true. really nice to not have to, like I said, not have to be worrying about the people.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because it would take your focus away from that. Yeah. Um, it's a. Is, you know, kind of a self-defined freelancer as you've been saying, how have you been able to be so invested in the work, you know, the work of the work, but then also, you know, sell, market, be the legal person, right? Like on your team? Just thinking of all of these functions a freelancer has to undertake in order to, you, know, keep selling work, contract work, etc. So if you remember or have any advice from your early days of doing that, I, I know now, you know, you're just a well-oiled machine, right? Like you've got, like I said, a very strong personal brand within the industry. So you're probably don't even have to seek work quite honestly, um, you, you know, aside from these shows, but for someone new in the freelancer world or growing their freelance workload, what, would you advise them? How would you adv- advise them to kind of divide their time and grow their, their own following and brand?
1: Yeah. From a skills perspective, from
0: a skills perspective, but more from a um, basically surviving as a freelancer. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it goes back to a little bit what I just said in terms of the, the uh, people want to work with people they want to work with, you know, like, People get called again because it was a good experience with you. You know, they don't get, they don't necessarily get called again just because they were really good at their job. If there was all this other baggage that came along with being good at their job, then it's like, eh, there's plenty of people out there. People come from all over the world to be in this business. So there's a lot of talented people here, but if you are the one who is easygoing and, and, um, and you have good interpersonal skills, you know, but, but you're not, but you're not overdoing it. You're not trying to oversell yourself while you should be working. You know, then, you know, then it's likely that people will call you again. Uh, And and I think that, um, you know, keeping your eye on the, on the goal, the goal, which is, which is whatever that project is, be invested in that project. You know, don't, you're not there to get the next job. You're there because you want to make, even if it's a commercial or something, like you want to make this commercial as good as it can be, right? That's, that's why we're in this business is to do good work. And if that is your, if that's clear to the people who are hiring that that is your intention, you're not here just to to schmooze on the side or eat at the crash service table. Um, that'll stand out. That'll stand out in two seconds because most people are there to schmooze and get the next job. <laughs> and if you're the hard worker and the good attitude and the one not complaining, you will stand out. And that's sad. That's a sad thing to say, is that because of your positive attitude, you're going to stand out. Everybody should have a positive attitude. You should stand out because of your right. work. It's kind of the other way around in my in my world. So. Yeah,
0: I, I feel like that's um, in a lot of worlds. I was actually talking to a, a restaurant manager yesterday, and we had a similar conversation. And I, you know, I, I see it with my own my own work, um, but I feel that generally, like people's attitude towards work has shifted a lot these last couple of years. I'm not quite sure why, but the bar is low in the sense that yeah, showing up with an amazing attitude and a strong work ethic now and a team player um, mindset really does make people stand out when that should be the baseline,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And there's a, there's a, and just a level of humility on a certain level. There's, there's so, yes, totally. I, I, I'm just, I, I'm just, tired, I'm just tired of like people telling me how great they are. You know, it's like, I don't need to hear that. That actually goes in one (laughs) ear, not the other to to me. I literally don't listen to them telling me how great they are. And and I have to watch myself. I have to be careful with myself. When I did this website with you, I was like, wait, I'm, I'm like telling you how great I am. It was really hard. It's really hard for me. But on a day-to-day basis, like at work, the people who are, who have a combination, this is for me, a combination of like, um, humility, you know, I just, I get it. If you're good, you're good. I'll, I'll, I'll notice. Don't worry. And professional will, like will to work hard and have discipline and get the job done. So if you have those two things and you don't have an ego that's getting in the middle of that, then wow, then you've got somebody who's really special and could could go on and be be a, a leader that I would like hand something off to because I trust that they're doing it for the right reasons and they're going to do a good job, and they're not going to they're not going to let their ego get in the way of decision making. So th- I know those are all these are you know every leadership book says all this stuff, but but sometimes it's good to use. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know. It is good to hear again. Where do you see um, television and filmmaking and, you know, kind of that aspect of the industry um, evolving with, you know, with streaming being so prevalent now? What are your any um, forecast that you may want to share?
1: Yeah, well, there are a lot of people who are a lot smarter <laughs> than I am, who have lots of degrees and communications and all that stuff. But I'm just a working guy, you know, been working for 35 years. So, yeah, from the trenches Uh, I, I, I think it's all great. Both of my kids are going into the entertainment industry on their own choice. I'm not asking them to, or telling them to, they've, they, they are inspired by the storytelling that's currently happening out there with all the streaming, all the dramas, even the reality shows, even sports, you know, sports is doing a great job of telling the stories of these athletes who have overcome all the odds. And there's just so much storytelling happening, a lot more of it. There always was a lot. But man, there's a ton happening now online and YouTube. It's just so fun to hear other people's stories and be inspired them, by them. And then to be able to be one of those people who tells those stories is, I, I, for me, it's a gift. It's a gift to, um, to be able to, to do that, to have the, the technology and the mechanism to uh, to, sh- to shoot a story. And then all of a sudden, you know, three weeks later, it's edited and it's on CBS and three million people are watching it. Three million people are watching something that I just did a few weeks ago and that is, I have to slap myself every once in a while, like a painter would just die to, to be able to paint a painting and have 3 million people watch it, look at it, you know, soon after. So television is just, and, and film is just one of those things, like if, you, if, you, if you're um, not motivated by it, but if you're, if you're moved by, by being able to be a part of the storytelling machine, then I think the future looks really bright. It's only, it's only going to get better. You know, and there's a there's such a variety. Of, there's bad storytelling. There's terrible storytelling happening, but there's a lot of good, a lot of good. And then the technology is fascinating with AI and everything. I yeah, I I, I I just had an experience with AI with a like a voiceover thing where we put in someone's voice through using AI, and then and we it wasn't supposed to go to air. It was just for using it for the off for the uh, offline for the early edits, the internal edits, and uh, and there was question about like, oh, should we be doing that? Should we be putting the person's voice the actor's voice you know in even in these cuts because what if it gets to air and it's not their voice so there's all there's lots of more moral choices that we are I don't know if I even know if that's moral but choices that we have to make with the new technology and also with editing you know ai editing is going to be it's going to be taking off so there will only be more storytelling in the future because it becomes it's becoming easier and easier to do with smaller cameras and easier editing and music that just plugs right in you know right right so, interesting it's all good
0: So what's next on the horizon for you, Brady? Um, Is there anything that you hope to do outside of reality television? Or, um, you know, is there a, a book in the future or maybe another medium or platform you hope to work on?
1: Yeah. Thanks for, I um, mean, thanks for asking. Um, yes, there's always, there's always, that's the beauty of this industry too. Is that there's always something new around the corner in some other way to, yes, I've, I've been writing a book. <laughs> so oh, good. I, I started during COVID and it's just, it just hasn't, hasn't happened yet, but it's basically about sort of the, the, the power of, of television in terms of changing, changing things. And there've been, there've been lots of books about that, but it's my personal take on nonfiction reality television and how it has shifted people's views of, of, Things of their marriages, of their relationships, of their families, of of what kind of person they want to be, and uh, and I think it is powerful. I mean, you know, you look at uh, a show like The Apprentice. You know, it's not it's not a coincidence that somebody became president of the United States after they were the host of a reality show. <laughs> you know. So the power of of nonfiction I think is worthy of documentation. But um, but in terms of career, just like actually work, 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 I just want to keep ma- making good stuff with good, pe- with good people. And that's what it's all about. It's about at the end of the day, I look back and I'm like, oh, I'm proud of that. And wow, I really loved everybody that worked on that. I'm still friends with them. And if I can – off in the sunset having done that a, a number of times more over the next 10 years that'll make me make me happy although i did always want to make direct a film that's that's the tough part ah, <laughs> that's the one okay. thing that got away i never i did some short films but i never really directed my own full-on feature film and i and I, yeah. I i'm okay i'm okay with that it just sort of bugs me a little yeah, bit. you never you never know though what's around the next corner right yeah, you never know never know maybe it's a non-fiction film who knows
0: yeah yeah so well, it's been great um, hearing your journey and hearing the latest info on you. Uh, what's the best place? F- where's the best place for our audience to learn more about you?
1: Well, of course, the brand, the brand ID. Uh, uh, the website, Brady website. Website.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: thank it's just Brady Thank you for the plug. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. You know, thank you for helping me uh, Yeah, figure things out. I, I'll tell you a lot of these thoughts that I have in my head. Uh, were a result of the process that you put me through (laughs) to like look at your brand. What do you want? Mm -hmm. What, you know, who are you and what do you want? And Mm -hmm. uh, it was fun. It was fun to go, to go through that down to the very, down to the font and the colors. And it was uh, quite the process. And so I appreciate it. It was almost like you were, you were a psychologist working with me, a career or a (laughs) career coach, I guess.
0: There is a lot of psychology in the, in the brand, the personal branding work but uh, that's great. So we'll put your URL, bradycanal.com, in the show notes. And um, again, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: And thank you, Rachel, for everything you've done to help me get to where I am. Thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? tune in next time to the business of you podcast and remember there's only one you you're the biggest differentiator your business has until next time friends